Welcome to Following Jesus, six Wednesday evenings once a month to practically help and inspire us in our relationship with God. Every one of these, these evenings has three elements. The first is where we learn something together, and uh, then we're going to hear a story to inspire and encourage us tonight. And finally, we're going to put what we've learned into practice together. We're going to learn, we're going to hear stories, and we're going to act. Each session is being recorded, and so if you're listening online, it's good to have you with us. Some of the resources we're using tonight are available to download from the website, including the worksheet which everyone in the room has in front of them. So if you've got that, web, uh, that worksheet, you can use that to make notes on. There's pens there, so please use them uh, as we go through the evening. You know, following the right person is crucial, as following the wrong people can get us into trouble. I remember uh, when I was in school uh, following the wrong characters, and uh, I remember one evening um, uh, I I got talked into in Sketty Park in Swansea um, outside uh, the Outside the news agent, there was a telephone box, and being in the telephone box, and they used to have, you remember they used to have telephone directories in there, they, obviously the, those sort of things are long gone now, and uh, hardly anyone uses telephone boxes, but being in the telephone box, and this guy saying, come on, come on, come on, let's do it, and, and I'm going, what, what, what are we going to do? So he gets the telephone book, and uh, it was in the time, if any, some of you will remember the goodies, it's a long time ago, okay, some of you will, will, will have no idea what I'm talking about. And um, the goodies had a song, and it was in the charts at the time anyway, so that's the background to where we're going. And uh, he looked up, he went through the number book, and he got this telephone, and he rang this number. And uh, so the, the, phone, uh, the guy on the phone answers, and he goes, excuse me, uh, is that Mr. Gibbon? And the guy said, yes. Is that Mr. G. Gibbon? He said, yes, it is. Is that Mr. Grindling Gibbon? And he went, what? And then he started singing down the phone, do, 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 the funky Gibbon. (laughs) And I just remember thinking, what am I doing here? How How do I end up getting caught doing things like this? When you follow the wrong people, it will get you into trouble. And none of us want to follow the wrong person. Jesus' challenge to each one of us is to follow him. So tonight, we're going to see how we can encounter God by ourselves as well as with others through knowing who we are in Christ. Every week of following Jesus, we've been doing an interactive Bible study together, and tonight is no different. We're going to see through looking at how we look at any Bible passage, we can encounter God and understand a little more of what he says about us. And so this is uh, the verses that we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, They're from Ephesians 1 to 3. They're Paul's introductory comments to the church he'd planted in Ephesus some years before. This is what they say. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
tonight, we're going to learn together how knowing our identity is in Christ, and we're going to learn how that is crucial to how we can follow Jesus effectively. And if you remember last time we were together, we said that when we read any passage, the first question we need to ask ourselves is, what is it all about? You see, if we don't ask questions uh, about what we've read, there's every chance that we're going to miss what it has uh, to say to us today. You see, we believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, and within it, the God of heaven declares truth over us. And if what he says is true, then it should transform uh, uh, what we think about ourselves and it should motivate us to follow him. And if that's not our current experience, God wants it to be the case. So what is a good question to ask when when we read any passage from the Bible? We're using the first letters of the word what as an acrostic to help us unpack the passage that we're reading. And you can see this set out at top of page three of your worksheet. Uh, What provokes us to ask some questions? What was happening then? How are things different now? How can we apply the passage to us today? So how can we know what was happening when Paul wrote this passage? Well, it's easy to quickly pass over Uh, the opening comments of Paul's letter to the Ephesian believers as if they were unimportant. They're just sort of introductory comments. We don't really need to pay much attention to them. Actually, they contain some wonderful truths that Paul was wanting the Ephesian believers to hear, and they are really relevant to us today. The meaning can easily get lost in the midst of time, so we need a little bit of help. And I've suggested previously that we can use a study Bible, which contains a brief synopsis of each book within the Bible. It helps tell you what's going on, a little bit of background. Alternatively, you can use a commentary of the relevant book. And in this case, I'd recommend uh, of Ephesians 2. One would be Phil Moore's Straight to the Heart series, uh, and this one's Galatians to Colossians. Ephesians is one of those books. And the other, if you're into uh, a little bit more in-depth Bible study, would be John Stott's commentary from The Bible Speaks Today, um, which looks at the message of Ephesians. So, in groups of three or four, for a couple of minutes, I want you to chat tonight about what you know about the background to this letter, okay? Why is it amazing Paul ever had a significant role in the church? What was an apostle supposed to do? What was Ephesus like? How did the church in Ephesus start? Maybe you just want to focus on one of those questions, and uh, what are the main points that we can draw out Uh, from this letter. So what do you know about this letter? Okay, so those are some of the questions. Just in a groups of three or four, just have a little think about what you know. If you don't know anything, that's fine. Just say, actually, I'm not really sure what this letter is all about. Okay? Okay. By the way, I'm not going to test you tonight, so there's there's not going to be, you're not going to be marked out out of 10 on this. So, why was it surprising Paul, that Paul ever had a significant role in the church? Well, here are a few of my thoughts. Uh, I mean, Paul was vehemently opposed 
to the Christian faith. He sought permission to uh, search Christians out, bring them to trial. He said himself he persecuted some to their death in Acts chapter 22 verse 4. He had others thrown in prison. He tried to destroy the church, he says in Galatians. And now he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. So what did an apostle do? Well, an apostle means simply one who was sent, appointed by Jesus to go and preach the gospel, to uh, see uh, people saved, gather new believers together and establish churches. Ephesus, as a city, was uh, the center of Dia- uh, Diana worship, the goddess Diana. It was a key Roman city. It was a thriving economic and cultural center. It contained uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the, the temple to Diana. The worship of the gods was a lucrative business. And uh, later in Acts uh, chapter 19, Araya unfolds as the tradesmen uh, are, realize their business of making silver shrines to Diana is going to be lost if the church continues to flourish with followers of Jesus stopping uh, their uh, buying their shrines. And, and, and so it's going to affect their, their business, can affect their pockets. And Paul himself had started the church in Ephesus. You see that at the beginning of Acts 19, he comes across 12 men. He originally thinks they're believers and uh, realizes there's something wrong, leads them to fully uh, get immersed uh, in Christ. He baptizes them, they get filled with the Spirit, and the church starts. And then he stays for a, a couple of years preaching the gospel, and a thriving uh, Christian community starts, the beginning of the church in Ephesus. And so some of the themes that come out of, uh, of this are that anyone can be a follower of Jesus, whatever their background, whatever our past, God can use us. The church can thrive in any setting. Nowhere is too tough for the gospel. So how are things different now? Just take a few moments just to reflect yourself on, 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 on whether things are, what's similar, what's different to the days in which we live. Okay, we, we're not going to spend too, too long on this bit, but I mean, in reality, there's lots that's still the same. God still changes the hearts of rebels, however hard-hearted or antagonistic they may be. And the proof of it's in this room in front of me. The proof's in front of you. God changes the hearts of rebels. Jesus is still wanting to draw uh, followers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And the culture of the world around us is still very materialistic. And and in reality, anything that impacts on people's personal well-being, their identity, generates intense opposition. Intense opposition. The church can flourish anywhere. However tough it is, there is nowhere too tough for the gospel as long as the church has good foundations. And so apostolic input in setting churches is crucial to the ongoing health of church. So, how can we apply this passage? We always need to apply what we are reading to ourselves today. Let's have a go at doing that together. So, first of all, 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God? Well, I think the first thing to say is, Paul's identity is determined by what God says. It's not about his history. It's not about his upbringing. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He was a murderer. He was there when Stephen was martyred. And yet... His grim past has no bearing on his future as far as God's concerned. Once he becomes a follower of Christ, the slate is wiped clean. His identity is now determined by who he is in Jesus Christ. God's plan was that this former rebel would go to the nations and tell them about Jesus. Everything is turned on its head in a moment. He turns Paul into a worshipper. The man who was trying to destroy the church ends up starting new ones. He becomes an ambassador of the person whose name he's trying to wipe off the face of the earth. This is the marvelous power of the gospel. God's mercy and love is there for all to see. This is the amazing, unmerited grace of God gloriously laid out before of us. I would say that is my story. That I ever stand here in front of you is the mercy of God. My identity was a rebel. I deserve nothing. Now I have inherited a new identity in Christ. How amazing is that? He moves on. He says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus... I mean, how many saints can you name? Who are some of the saints in Winchester? St. John of the Groves or... (laughs) See, when Paul writes, he writes to the whole church in the city and he calls them saints. He's not writing to one or two standout Christians in the church. We tend to think of Christians who have done something extraordinary, special, who've lived incredible lives for God. But Paul is referring to no such thing. Saints simply means holy ones. He was saying, because you have received the grace of God through what Jesus did on the cross, you are now holy because he has made you holy. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A few, a few verses later in chapter 2, he reminds these same people of what they were like before they received the grace of God. He says that all of them gratified their sinful nature and followed its desires and thoughts. None of them were anywhere close to being holy, to being saints. But Paul goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. 
They were clearly not perfect, but God had other plans. Their identity is now holy because of Jesus, and it was nothing to do with their efforts. He goes on to say that they are faithful in Christ Jesus. I mean, that could be translated, they're believers in Christ Jesus. And the phrase is a key to understanding this letter to the Ephesian church. In chapter 1, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, uh, six six times. They're believers in Christ, six times. He talks about them being in him, four times. They are in Christ, and uh, when Christ came and became a man, and we're thinking about this, uh, this Christmas time, he became a man, he identified with us, identified with our humanity, and yet never sinned. He came across the cosmos and came to this earth. God became man. When we become followers of Christ, we identify with him. We are in Christ. It's a marvelous truth. Marvellous truth. And Paul is laying this foundation at the very start of what he says to the saints in Ephesus. He goes on to say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes to us from God. What is grace? I tell a story at Foundations for those of you who've done Foundations recently. Forgive me for telling it again, but when my cousin was moving into his house and and my auntie was there helping him, me and my son Joe went up and Joe was a lot younger and uh, we went up, we moved boxes for several hours in the afternoon. At the end of uh, the afternoon, my auntie comes to us and she's my auntie Denise and she says, Joe, you've been so helpful. Here you are, here's a tenner. Thank you. You've been really helpful. Thank you for helping us this afternoon. And then she says, and here's £10 for Meg. That's outrageous. She is sitting at home, eating sweets, drinking Coke, watching TV, reading a book. That is outrageous that she should get the same. She did nothing. That is grace. He says, you, you receive peace from God. We only have peace from God when we have peace with God. You know, uh, this, uh, someone in the church was, uh, their story is that, that one day they were sitting in the middle of the meeting there and John was preaching about God not being at war with us anymore. And that person had a, 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 just a reverence, God's not at war with me anymore. Went home, started to think about it, came, did a course called Freedom in Christ. And at the end of it, came to a place where just knew that they were free. Their identity was different to what they thought it was. They knew they had peace from God because they had peace with God. And then Paul goes on to say this marvelous thing. God is our father. He's not our mother, he's our father. And when we hear the word father, each of us hear hear it through our own filters of of what our own father was like, our own experience of what our earthly father was like. And yet, we need to take off these filters because God is the perfect father. He's always the same. I, the Lord, don't change, he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And Jesus is the son of God. In Christ, We are all sons of God. That is our new identity. He is our father 
and we are his sons. Someone was chatting to me the other day, the other Sunday, about using the phrase. I'd used the phrase when I was praying about daughters in God, sons and daughters in God. And they said, they, they talked about, we, we talked about this very issue. And as they were talking to me, I knew that when I said that phrase, I went to listen very carefully, when I said that phrase, I was, in my head, I was thinking about the political uh, correctness out there in terms of how the world around talks about things. And I felt challenged, and I went away to think about it, and I went again back to Galatians, and I started to read again and re-think it through. I knew the truth, but I, was, I felt I'd been a little swayed by the world around. This is what it says in Galatians. You are all sons of God, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I found, I just thought I, I can get pushed around by this word. Now the language, daughters of God, sons of God, that, that, that's fine. But in this context, theologically, we are sons of God because we are in the Son. Our identity is in the Son. So therefore, is now no male, female. We are in Christ. And we come to this last marvelous phrase. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What are some of the blessings we receive in Christ? Just have a think about them. What are some of the blessings we receive in Christ? Unconditional love. Forgiveness. Joy. Peace. In a world that knows no peace. We know God hears and answers our prayers. We can draw near to God with boldness and confidence. We have eternal life. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amazing spiritual blessings we have in Christ. What's the significance of these blessings being in heavenly realms? Well, Christ has ascended as the victorious and resurrected Son. He has defeated death, every demonic force. He has triumphed over them, we're told in Colossians, by the cross. Satan has been cast down from heaven. All of God's very great and precious promises are yes to us in Christ. They are securely established in heaven. They are ours and they cannot be taken away from us. However, we must appropriate them by faith and patience and living in our identity as sons of God. And Paul says, praise be to God. What am I going to do in response to those truths? When you read something like that, what's my response? What should it be? What areas of our past life still shapes us? Maybe it still shapes how we think. Do I know what God says about me? 
Do I believe what God says about me? Am I living in the light of what God says about me? What areas do you struggle with your identity in Christ? What changes do you know need to happen if you're going to follow Jesus more effectively? One of the issues I've battled with over many years is low self-esteem. Ridiculous, isn't it? I stand in front of people every Sunday, but I I battle with low self-esteem. I have to remind myself who I am in Christ every day. Our response, we need to maybe take some time to meditate and think through these things. Maybe you need to journal. Maybe you need to spend some time alone praying. Maybe you need to pray with someone you trust. Maybe you need to share some of the stuff you're battling with. You see, when we read any passage of Scripture, we should be able to unpack it in a way in 10 minutes, if you've got 10 minutes, or half an hour if you've got a bit longer, and ask ourselves questions like this and come up with something that God says about us that we need to appropriate that day. Here are some resources which will help you grow in uh, grasping your identity uh, in Jesus as we follow him. And I'm recommending uh, a book uh, called The Transformed Life by Dave Smith. He was speaking uh, at uh, West Point uh, this last summer. And he looks at who we are in Christ from Ephesians 1 to 3. There are 20 copies of that book here at the front for those who would like to take one away. So it's 20, first come, first served. You are welcome to take them tonight. There are some good sermons uh, on uh, our website, and I've just recommended some from our deeper series in Ephesians in 2014. And finally, on the table in front of you, there is a sign-up sheet for Freedom in Christ. So if you know there's stuff that you're battling with in terms of your identity, there's a sign-up sheet. If you're interested in doing Freedom in Christ in the new year with us, put your name down and we will follow it up. There's a little leaflet there as well you can take away, which gives you a little bit more information about what's happening on that Freedom in Christ course. There are links to all of those from the website, We're now going to have a literally a couple of minute comfort break and then we're going to come back. The musicians are going to lead us in a song and then we're going to hear a story. So uh, I'm going to introduce you to uh, my friend Luke. So Luke... Uh, in March 2010, um, you were suddenly struck down with Guillaume-Barry syndrome. Can you tell us briefly what happened and how it's affected you over these last five years? Yeah. Um, uh, in March 2010, I was a 25-year-old trainee teacher, and I was thin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, one Friday, at the end of the day, I was walking down a corridor and I noticed that my feet were dragging slightly. And uh, that was on Friday evening. And by the Sunday night, I was in intensive care. Um, and uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, as lots of people know, it sort of starts in the feet and it comes up all the way up the body. And um, it can just come up to the knees and then go back down again. But um, it came all the way up. Uh, so I lost the ability to breathe and blink and swallow and things yeah. like that. 
So I was pretty much locked in my own body for a while. Um, not being able to speak was the worst part. <laughs> I did try. <laughs> Some people can testify to how difficult it was to understand me. But yeah, um, I, nearly, I nearly died, actually. It did get really bad. And um, they, there was a crash uh, team response thing once in ICU because they'd lost control of all my all the essentials yeah. and um, after that they said to my mum and dad uh, ignore what you read online but they didn't say for the usual doctor reason of you're panicking yourself they yeah. said it because it's this is off the scale and yeah, you'll be sure. thinking that it's far too uh, you, your expectations will be wrong if you believe what, what you see online so they said likely as not be in the 10% mortality rate so it was quite very serious 10% really. mortality rate yeah right. okay. that's usually like uh, older good. people uh, who've got underlying yeah. conditions. So for yeah. someone in, in, yeah. their, in their 20s to, to do that, must, it, would, it would have to be really bad. Um, and there was an amazing response in, in prayer from loads of connected Christians all over the place, and, um, which was amazing. And um, I came out of hospital. I was off any form of work for about two years. Eventually went back to teaching for a while, but... Um, I've, uh, I had to leave last year because of ill health again. Yeah. And I'm basically just finding my feet, finding a new pace of life now. Uh, and um, so, yeah, the things now that I'm left with is uh, my balance is dodgy. So I sometimes walk with a stick. Yeah. Um, my temperature control is dodgy, so I can sweat profusely in yeah. uh, normal, just normal situations that you shouldn't. Um, I'm in constant pain, so in, on loads of painkillers, some of them prescribed over the licensed dose, because it's. Yeah. And, uh, and as a result, I get quite a lot of brain fog. And okay. uh, so I may forget what I'm saying halfway through a sentence. Um, that's just normal. Uh, that is the, that's the drugs, it's not really the illness, that's the response to the drugs. And now, so quite a, th- a slow pace of life. I, I, I'm grateful for that because I thought you just thought I, my conversation was boring. And <laughs> All those times I just went, yeah. <laughs> Luke, you, you clearly had a lot to physically cope with, but there was a lot more going on behind the scenes in the run-up to be, you being struck down with Gary and Barry. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on? Yeah. Um, in the months leading up to GBS, I was increasingly unhappy. And yeah. um, very deep-seated feelings I'd had for many years, but I'd hoped to hide were coming to the surface, and they were becoming impossible to ignore, where I'd hoped to ignore them yeah. over many years as well. I'd been discouraged by a number of circumstances in my life. So things hadn't gone the way I thought they would or should, yeah. and, um, which I, and I was coming to the conclusion that uh, God couldn't necessarily be relied upon to, um, yeah. to, uh, well, to live my life with. Um, I never doubted his existence, but I just began to think that maybe it would be easier if I went with what I felt rather than my faith. Um, And um, four weeks exactly before GBS, uh, I sat down with my parents and told them that I was gay, that I'd been attracted to the same sex for pretty much my whole life, and it was not something I'd ever entertained, so they were stunned. Yeah. but they can tell their story another time. Um, (laughs) uh, However, they did know that I'd had these disappointments uh, linked to my faith, so it it possibly wasn't surprising to them when I said that I genuinely felt at that stage that the church had nothing to offer me um, beyond being someone's project and uh, trying to follow rules that I knew I couldn't follow. 
um, my attitude was I knew know all the spiel and I run out of patience to have it spouted back at me. That was yeah, my attitude. Sure. That's a really good attitude to have, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd already accepted a job in London and I... I'm just going to read this bit. Um, so my plan was to maintain my friendships where I could, but I genuinely, honestly expected to be forced out of my friendships in the church by some sort of um, pastoral decision, the likes of which I'd heard and seen growing up as a teenager, um, uh, some sort of decision that my friends weren't to see me anymore or th- uh, something yeah, like that. Sure. Um, so I suppose my plan was to preemptively leave so that sure. no one had to be told that and I could still maintain the friendships I wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, well, Luke, that's, um, that's a big issue, you know. I mean, you've been a Christian since you were quite young. I mean, how, how did you handle coming to terms with your sexuality in the light of your faith? Um, well, to me, it, there have always been two facts that I... Well, that I knew, certainly at that stage. First was that um, I'm a Christian, and second um, is that I was gay or uh, experienced same-sex attraction or whatever term people like to use. To me, they mean the same thing, but I know they don't to a lot of other people. Sure. Um, So I guess there were three ways that I could have dealt with it. I could either have um, pushed pushed my feelings down and and just... uh, lived sort of in denial yeah. and so that I could sure. fully embrace my faith because I felt they were mutually ex- exclusive at the time or I could run away from my faith so as to embrace what I felt was my sexuality or I could just lay both facts out on the table before myself and my friends and family and church and work it out as I go along acknowledging my sexuality and following Jesus um, for about 25 years I took the first option mm-hmm. um, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I'd never had a rebellious phase or anything like that. I prayed a prayer when I was four, and I sort of just grew up with Jesus ever since. Yeah. Um, I was taught at home and at school and at church that as I got older, I would begin to notice the opposite sex. And gullibly, I believed into my 20s that this would eventually happen. Um, and in the meantime, I knew I could say nothing to anyone ever. Um, yeah about it if I wanted to be considered as some sort of uh, going for it or on fire or whatever phrase you want to use a key Christian in the church I wanted to be a church leader so I just tried to do everything I thought I should do in order for that to happen but really all I learnt was that I can't make my feelings go away and how to I suppose deceive people into uh, not guessing I knew some people probably would guess um, but in my head as long as uh, it was just a, they were just an isolated voice, and as yeah. long as there was no proof of anything, then I wouldn't have to face it, and it wouldn't be an issue. So, so how did you feel, Luke, during that, that time? Well, mainly, the recurring theme has been terrified. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember a Sunday afternoon uh, when I was a teenager... And I was just reading, and I don't know what I was reading, but it suddenly dawned on me that the feelings that I have had, both present and past, um, were called homosexuality, and that homosexuality was was a word that was that word that is sort of half said and half spat from yeah. uh, that I'd heard growing up, um, and everything I'd ever overheard, read, 
uh, been told came flooding back to me and uh, in terror I promised myself that I would never I couldn't let anybody find out um, since I've tried to, to face facts a bit I've felt I have still felt terrified but I felt loved mm. but at the same time as feeling a bit alone um, mm. uh, I've, I feared judgment and harsh words um, and at first when I first started to think well I need to just face facts here um, I, w- I really worried that I would be um, punished or publicly shamed if I made a mistake yeah. um, but I've also known a significant amount of purpose in God allowing this in my life um, for me that comes from things like in the Bible where God says that he's the one that creates calamity um, yeah. uh, if he has allowed it then yeah. it's purposeful hmm. um, wow. the more I believed that the less terrified I was wow Luke um I mean, you've obviously stayed in the church. Can you tell us what helped you do that? Hmm. Uh, well, I never really lost my faith yeah. um, as such, but it was Christians I'd had enough of. <laughs> <laughs> Not all Christians, just in general. Um, <laughs> uh, but as I recovered from GBS, um, there was just a, a really remarkable, lovely um, Reaction from Christians that I knew from all over the place and Christians that I didn't know. And that began to soften me up to a different idea of church to what I'd had before. Um, the most um, important thing that I've had has been time to yeah. process things. Um, the, the verse in 2 Peter that says, count the patience of God as your salvation. Someone gave that to me a few years ago and... I've come to the conclusion that really that that's a really good way to understand salvation is that God is patient enough with us to allow us to uh, come to him um, on our own journeys. I don't have to do it straight, straight away. I don't have to understand straight away or get it right straight away. Yeah, very good. Um, very good. Another thing has been just close family and friends taking the time to understand that certain words and phrases can sound quite loaded when you're trying to talk and we've had many discussions over the years and you've always said to me well you know what I mean by this is this I know that it could be construed that I mean something completely different I don't and that that's always been really helpful that's been really helpful and um uh I just feel that if if we all had to make immediate faith decisions based on somebody else's timeline um a few of us would be only a few of us would be saved, really, because yeah. I don't think many of us would be prepared off, yeah. to do that. Sure. Um, so over time, I, I began to work through the Freedom in Christ material, and I, I found it helpful, and I gave it some time to settle, settle in. I was quite cautious about doing the Freedom appointment. Um, <laughs> I, it had always terrified me, basically. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, But I, the reason... I, I put it off as I wanted to know that I believed what I was saying. Yes, I felt like I'd absolutely. lived too many years yeah. um, just saying what I thought should be said. Mm. And so I just wanted to take the time to yeah. know that I actually understood it, I believed it, and that I wasn't resenting saying right. it. Yeah. Um, yeah so. So, so, Luke, what was God and is God speaking to you about in terms of your identity? Um a lot yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that I feel that God's been speaking to me about is how as a child and a young man I'd often 
uh, and in a growing sort of way as I grew up, um, loved my idea of the church more than I'd loved Jesus. And I'd done the same with human leaders as well. I'd idolised people um, over and above my walk with Jesus as a Christian. And what GBS and my sexual identity questions have done is pushed me back onto Jesus. Um, Very good. God also spoke to me about Abraham, who um, the Bible says, without weakening in his faith, faced the fact yeah. that his body was as Apparently. good as dead yeah. and drew, grew strong in his faith. And I can relate to that because of my physical limitations. My yeah. body is as good as dead, believe me. <laughs> um, I'd quite like a new one, really, so I'm quite looking forward to heaven. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and although... Um, Sexuality is a different thing to illness. Uh, the idea of facing facts about my situation has been a really powerful one um, in terms of growing stronger in my faith. Um, and one other thing that has just really helped me, and actually it doesn't necessarily have much to do with sexuality, but it does have to do with identity, mm. like you say, um, is that if God is real and the gospel is true, then I don't need anybody else to complete me yeah. um, as a human being. Yeah. Um, I look around, as I look around the world around me, including sometimes in the church, you, I see um, a lot of people, and I was, I was in this camp uh, just a few years ago, um, who feel a desperate need to connect with another human um, as, as a basic need rather than um, out of an, some, some other motivation. Um, and then sometimes, like I did, you can end up with a serious sort of identity crisis when oh. that doesn't happen or you feel like you're being prevented from doing that. Um, so the questions I ask myself on a regular basis is, am I only half human because of my uh, uh, physical disability? Um, am I only half human because of my sexual identity? Uh, do I miss out on a crucial part, on a critical part of the human experience? Yeah. Um, because I'm not in a relationship or pursuing one? And my answer has to be no. Yeah, very good. I think. Very good. Very good. So, so Luke, West Point last August was a really significant moment. Tell us what you felt God was saying to you. Well, my experience of West Point was uh, seeing uh, a man, a a church leader, who has walked a similar experience to me. Um, His name was Sam Albury, and he spoke at a a number of the different meetings. Um, And uh, I just, my experience was seeing him speak out from the Bible in a way that I'd never come at it yeah. before but speaking out the same conclusions that I've come to over many years which was a massive encouragement um, and for quite some time I'd, I'd felt that I'd wanted to get to a place of being open with everybody and not having to um, not, not having there be any secrets I wanted there to be space for someone like me to serve and to be and to grow in church without having to um, keep uh, something secret okay. and but there had been, up to West Point, there were certain individuals, particularly in my wider family, whose good opinion of me had meant enough to me to prevent me from being honest. And uh, uh, at West Point, as I had Sam Aubrey speak and listened to people's reactions in our church as they came back, and I just realised that I'd, God had brought me to a point of actually being prepared to lose the, that good opinion, potentially, by being completely open, because it had been that that had been stopping me. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it 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 was the final little push towards. Sure. 
Luke, uh, can you just summarise now for us how you see your identity as a follower of Jesus? Um, Probably the most powerful thing that God's spoken to me about over these six years or so has been, well, always connecting with Christmas is just the fact that God is with us because we belong to him. And for me, if that is true, that God is with me, and I, the, the reason I always come back to that is I, I feel that I physically felt that presence in the hospital bed when I was, as I was nearly dying. Yeah. So for me, I know that, that, that God is with me. And if that's true, that it has to change everything. Because yes. if logically, if there is a God, yeah. and he's all-powerful, and he's yeah. with me all the time, then... Every other thing about my identity, gender and yeah. um, colour of my skin and everything, is just like as you were reading from that from that verse earlier. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty much yeah. that's how I would see it. So being, just being being in Christ and Christ then being with you in your life. Fantastic, Luke. I, I know you're secure in who you are in Christ, but to some. Uh, you may appear, as you said to you said to me, a little bit flaky on the outside. Um, what do you think are the challenges for you and for the church in handling these sorts of issues of identity? Yeah, um, I, I say I call myself flaky. That's what I would have called me six years or seven years ago. Like, Such a flake. Why can't he just commit to something in church for once? Um, and I say that because I just explained. No, no, no one would probably have called me flaky as a teenager. Um, and as a, as a school boy, I got up at 5 a.m. every morning to go to the early morning prayer meetings. I was baptised when I was 14, did the outreach teams, I preached on the street at the kids' club, started Alfred Peter Simmons, did FPM. I was endlessly doing things, and I felt I had a relationship, I did have a relationship yeah. with Jesus during that time. Um, and now I feel I'm in a better place with, with, with God um, than I ever was, um, a much more honest place. Um, and yet I'll probably look a bit flake on the outside. But I just feel that the, the main things that... <laughs> physical issues, you know, I can't always get to everything. I get fatigued really easily. So that's what, that, that's what the, me seven years ago would have called me, a big old flake. Um, but um, I think what everybody needs is, I feel, acceptance. They need time to work out their own faith. They need community and friendship. And they're just four things that came to the top of my head. Um, so the, the challenge for me in those is I feel I need to get what I need from God first. Um, yeah, very good. And I uh, also need to let God set the pace on this journey that he's put me on. And um, I need to be genuinely open to community and to individual friendships in the church, even if that makes me uh, vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and for the church, I think the challenge with those four things is just to be the sort of community that shows acceptance to yeah. people of all yeah. backgrounds. Um, that doesn't demand an artificial timetable for people to change, yeah. um, recognising that we are all one new man in Christ. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think that starts with a welcome at the door, but it's probably more than that and more embedded than that, and it, it sort of involves being aware of the language that you use and things like that, and just, yeah, just aware of a whole bunch of people. I saw a statistic online earlier, and earlier this year there was a survey of 18 to 24-year-olds and they had, to, they had to say where they were on a sexuality scale from zero to six, where zero was completely heterosexual and six was completely homosexual. And only 46% of 
those young people identified themselves as completely heterosexual. Ah, so okay. for me, that, I think that is a huge challenge for us because that's the reality of life in the world so around the us. The challenge of, of being one new man in Christ but, but actually creating a community where people can yeah. uh, uh, be real but work, yeah. walk that walk together yeah. and love Christ and obey him. and That's amazing. I, I want to say that this is an incredibly brave young man and I want us to give him a really warm hand. Okay, uh, let's take our seats. I, I just want to recommend uh, uh, a book by Sam Albury. Uh, the book is entitled, Is God Anti-Gay? Sam was one of the platform speakers, as Luke said, at West Point last August bank holiday weekend. And one thing which stands in my mind, and I know stands in Luke's mind, because we talked about it after the event, and we've planned, we, we've talked about this for some months now, doing this tonight... Um, one thing he said was this, if we're going to follow Jesus, there is always a cost. For him, the cost was celibacy. And he said this, everyone has to pay a cost to follow Jesus. If you haven't, then I doubt if you've heard the gospel. I thought that was really powerful. I would recommend that book to you. I think it's a great read. Um, So uh, um, get it, read it. And um, thank you, Luke. That's brilliant. I'm going to hand over to Jonathan who's going to lead us through what we're going to do together tonight. Well, we've heard some great truth from the scripture. We've heard a great story uh, of the grace and mercy of God. It's, uh, it's just so wonderful, isn't it, really? But it's time for us to do a little bit before we go. And this is our act now uh, bit. Um, we've already seen when we come to faith in Christ, when we are born again, we become, the Bible says, new creations. We really do become a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But taking hold of who we are now in Christ and living in what that means, it takes time. We've just been hearing that. It takes time. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, and yet it's a work that actually we have some responsibility for too. So to help us in our act now, you should find on your tables um, a little identity document. There should be uh, one for each of you. If you uh, haven't got enough, there's some more here at the front. You can get one in a minute. And uh, this really is just a a little worksheet. Um, If you want to, yeah, it's yours to take away. Uh, There's a space. If you want to, you can even write your name on the front just to uh, personalize it. Sorry we couldn't do that for each of you, but uh, you can do it yourself. Um, And in a few minutes, uh, we're going to give you just some time, some individual time, to to do some work with God uh, using this. But inside this little identity document, you'll find some Bible-based material that addresses three really big questions concerning our identity. The, The questions are, who am I? Where do I really belong and what am I living for? Three key questions that all of us 
to some extent, will face at some stage. Who am I? Where do I really belong? And what am I living for? Um, And we're going to look and uh, hopefully uh, address some areas in our lives where perhaps we don't fully grasp what God says in each of those areas. And um, if if you have difficulty trying to work out perhaps where your weak areas are, I would encourage you to perhaps think or even ask a trusted friend, for instance, uh, what are the negative things you say about yourself quite frequently? What are the the negative confessions that you make? Things like, um, oh, I could never be or do that. You might find if you review your conversations, you say that a lot. Or, well, that's just the way I am. And it's good sometimes to reflect on those and actually to put them alongside what God says and see if they really match up. So I'll encourage you uh, in a few moments just to choose, given that we've got a short amount of time, one of those three questions to concentrate on tonight. Who am I? Where do I belong? Or what am I living for? The one you feel is most relevant to you, the one you feel perhaps uh, is the one you struggle most with, um, or perhaps you just feel the Holy Spirit is pointing you to that tonight. And then what you'll see is that underneath each question, there are a number of uh, Bible truths that feed into that question, answers from God's word that feed into that question. And again, I would encourage you in a few moments to take the question you've chosen and then to look through those things and pick one or two. Again, that you just feel the Holy Spirit touching for you, putting his finger on tonight. Uh, Maybe you want to make a mark or highlight it or something. Um, And having done that, if you look down at the bottom of the page, you'll see there's a section called Making the Change. And that's, uh, if you read that, you'll see there's a pattern of prayer there that you can use to help us do some real business with God tonight. We can actually do something tonight that will change your life. Uh, And that's taking hold of the truth and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal it to our hearts. So uh, I'm going to ask Barry if he can come back and just uh, give us some quiet worship music. Oh, there you are, Barry. God bless you. Thank you. Um, Just so that in an atmosphere of worship, uh, we can spend a few minutes individually, just read through, choose one question, choose maybe a few sub points, and then just uh, use the making the change area to do some business with God. is obviously something that uh, in a sense you can take as long as <laughs> as you want over it uh, I'd like us to move on just now though before we go because um, you know that it's uh, important that we do things uh, between us and God and do our business as it were with God over some of these issues but it's also true that we can speak the truth over one another and pray for one another and that's what I like to close by doing so uh, just in this last 10 minutes that we've got I would like to encourage you to get together in groups, uh, no more than four, please, if we could. Um, And I'd like you just to share very briefly with the others in that group, uh, maybe one or two areas that you felt God is speaking to you about. And then I'd like the others in that group to just declare God's truth over you and to pray that truth into you, that by his spirit, he would give you revelation in your heart of the truth of God in your life.
what we've just done together, you could do on your own in your community group. You can take a verse passage, psalm, and in a, a few minutes draw out some of the wonderful things that God says about you through his word. I mean, identity is crucial. For some of us, it's a, it's a painful thing that there are stuff to work through. And for some of you, you might feel a little the sharpness or the pain of it as we've just been unpacking tonight. But our belief about our identity shapes our beliefs and our behavior. All of us have a need to belong. We were created for relationship with God. And if we don't know we belong to him, if we don't know our identity is in him, we're going to seek to fill that gap in all sorts of ways we were never intended to. We are sons of God in Christ. We are children of God and all that entails. He is a good father. He's a good father. You can usefully take some of what you've been thinking about tonight and over a week or two you could stir yourselves in your community group, unpack it together. You could... Uh, sign up for the next Freedom in Christ course. Some of you may feel the need tonight to revisit some stuff, some truths that you need to work through. And it would be really good to do that through Freedom in Christ. So make sure that you sign up if you need to do that. And we'll follow that up. What are you going to take away with you tonight? Just take a moment, just a moment now to reflect, write down what you're going to do. Just a moment right now something that you think I'm going to I want to do that I'm going to do that and write it down just as a sign to say I'm going to do that I'm going to take that step I'm going to do something whatever it is Jesus wants to provoke us to follow him he wants us to be those who know we're in Christ